Church, I want you to imagine something. I want you to use your imagination for a second here. I want you to imagine you are a first century Philippian. I want you to imagine that you live on the tip of Greece, right on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And it's dry, it's hot. And you live in a city uh, called Philippi, a colony called Philippi. And this colony is buzzing with life. There's tons of people. There's people from all different places in the world. And it's busy. And everywhere you walk, it reminds you of Rome because you used to be uh, a Roman soldier. And everywhere you walk in the city, in fact, the architecture of the city, the way the streets are laid out, the smells of the marketplace, the, the statues and the places that you can worship, the, the pantheon of Roman gods is, is just like Rome. It's just exactly how you remember Rome. And um, Rome is, I mean, and Philippi is Rome away from Rome, right? Um, you just remember Rome everywhere you walk. And you, and you used to be a soldier. And you are a patriot. You love this empire. You've spilt your blood all over the empire to keep uh, Rome, Rome. And um, you're not sorry about it. In fact, you're proud. You're proud of who you are. You're proud of where you live. Uh, Caesar has blessed you with a plot of land right in the middle of Philippi. And that's why you go to Caesar's temple and worship. And that's because you believed that Caesar was Lord. At least that's what you used to think. You used to think that. Until this guy named Paul comes along. He's from Jerusalem. And he shows up and he claimed that this would-be king, um, this Jewish king, was crucified by the actual army that you served in. And this Jewish king was actually a crucified king, which just doesn't make any sense. And that this Jewish king, this crucified king, is actually the real king of the world. And this is like a dangerous thing to talk about. It's like a, it's a treasonous thing to talk about. And if this Jewish king is the one creator God of, of the world, then Caesar isn't. And that means, in your mind, in your heart, that means the empire is the parody and the kingdom of God is the reality. And that's just dangerous thinking. And that's why, that's why you, you think to yourself, that's why Paul was run out of town. That's why, that's why everything's kind of hush-hush for us. But it seems to you, as you've watched people, that people can't shake it. People can't shake this, this conversation, this reality. And it's doing something to them, and it's, it's affected you, and it's affected people around you. In fact, there's this crazy group of people that you gather with each week um, that, that has captured your heart and, and captured your imagination. It's men and women. It's not just men, like in many Roman circles. It's men and women. It's rich people and poor people. There's no class to it. 
Um, It's young people and old people. It's masters and slaves. It's Jews and Greeks and Romans and barbarians and Easterners. And this this kind of a gathering is just unheard of. And and, and this group of people have drawn into this community and drawn into Jesus. And you found yourself believing this idea that Jesus is Lord, but it's created a tension in you. It's created kind of a, a, a... a cognitive dissonance in you that's a frustration because you are a Roman and a patriot at that. You're a Roman and you're a patriot and you are a citizen of what the the Caesars call the eternal city. But on the other hand, you're a follower of Jesus and you are what your ex-army buddies call you uh, they, they call these, your, your friends, um, Christians. And you're torn between the two. And, and on a random regular Sunday evening, you show up at Lydia's house for your weekly house church. And lo and behold, guess who's there? Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is there and You thought he was dead. He left so long ago to take some money to Paul. You had no idea. You thought, oh, this guy didn't make it. I haven't seen him forever. And he stands up and he reads a letter that is written edge to edge to save money and to save paper. And he gets to the line, but our citizenship is in heaven. And you just read that as a house church and it, probably didn't have the same effect on you that it did on this imaginary, this imaginative person in Philippi. And you know right then and there that you have to make a decision. You're standing there hearing this from Epaphroditus and Paul is, is just imploring and he says even with tears, he's like, what, what is my loyalty to? Is my loyalty to this kingdom of Rome, of empire, or is my loyalty to another kingdom? And we feel the same tension. And as followers of Jesus, my guess is you've probably felt that tension a lot lately. I mean, especially heading up to this election, we're, we're torn between this idea of our country and its, and its importance and what the kingdom of God is. And we're torn between uh, the kingdom of Jesus and the Caesars of the modern day, where, where those might be uh, people, uh, they, they might be personalities, they might be politics, money, um, uh, a form of of living, um, whether it's capitalism or, or uh, accumulation or consumerism, uh, or is it forms of pleasure and power and control. Um, either, way you, either way you look at it, we are brought into a moment of decision. And you might be able to think about those moments in your life, but ultimately you and I are brought into a moment of decision almost every day as we live in this country. And we have to answer the question, who am I going to follow? Who am I going to uh, apprentice? 
What thinking, what, what, what view of the world am I going to take on? Am I going to be formed by? And with all that in your mind, let's work through the text for today. Uh, Paul is continuing his, his letter to the Philippians, and he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, um, join together in following my examples, my example, brothers and sisters. And so this is the tail end of his autobiography that he's laid out in chapter 3. Um, he talks about how much he gave up to follow Jesus, um, to take on the Messiah-shaped cross and resurrection-shaped life. The idea that our lives are a rhythm of dying and rising, that we are dying to ourselves all the time and, and living as if we are uh, new creations um, in the kingdom. Um, and he's basically saying, follow my example. Um, he says in other places, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is basically be imitators of Christ with me. And he's inviting the Philippians to follow his example. And that's the idea. And he says, and just as you have, uh, have us as a model, and he's talking about himself and uh, Timothy, and, and he talked about Epaphroditus. He's like, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Now, Philipp the Philippi was a colony that it was situated literally on uh, what scholars call the Via Ignatia, this this main highway, this main road, trade route. And it was super easy to pop into Philippi if you were going across the empire. And so many times traveling teachers and sophists and different people would come through Philippi and they would be really engaging and really um, maybe had some street cred. And they would come into Philippi and they would woo the crowds. And, and Paul says, there will be people um, that are going to come through that um, you shouldn't listen to or you shouldn't give your allegiance to. Um, but there are some people you should follow examples of. And he, I mean, some of these folks that have come through, Apollos and Peter and some great folks, but, um, but others are bad news. And he says in verse 18, For as I have often told you before, and now I tell you again, even with tears, meaning even with some great emotion and affection behind what I'm about to tell you. Many people live as enemies of Christ, is what Paul says. That there are people who are hostile to the cross, that, that talk about the cross as nonsense, that talk about the cross in, in, in hostile terms. Um, and really to the announcement that Jesus is Lord, they're hostile to it. They're hostile to that announcement that, that Jesus is higher than everything. Right? That Jesus is um, supreme above everything. That's not a popular message at all. And Paul is saying, I'm warning you even with tears. Like, if you could just see me right now and, and how serious this is for me. And he, and he goes on to talk about four enemies of the cross. Four markers, really, of enemies of the cross. And he's, he talks about these markers like this. Verse 19. Their destiny is destruction. So this goes back to that word, the telos, um, their, their final purpose, their end goal, the final clause in their life, what they were created for, what everything in their life is moving towards is destruction. Paul's goal is resurrection. Their destiny is destruction. And the idea behind this is 
is they're going to be written out of the story. That the story will continue, but they will be written out of it. It, it, it kind of comes to like, the, like, uh, like a Netflix show or a movie, like a great character. When a, when a great character in a TV show gets written out of the story, I mean, their life ends or whatever, they're no longer part of what's happening, is the idea here that, that people will be written out of the story. Their destiny is destruction. And then he goes on another marker is their God is their stomach, meaning... Uh, they're under the authority of their their urge, their urges and their desires, that that their stomach, their cravings, their their appetites, their sexual drive, whatever it is, um, they're under that kind of a um, a slavery, really. And he says, and their glory is in their shame, meaning there's something about the way they're living their life that brings them glory they brag about their sin they brag about their shame and their uh their appetite really and then the last one it says their mind is set on earthly things they're um they're they're just kind of set on the here and now and the present moment um i i think a really good um synopsis of this idea is what paul talks about in colossians chapter 3 I just want to read uh, about six verses to you from Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. It starts, it says, Paul says this, and he wrote this actually, this is really cool. Paul actually wrote uh, some of these letters near the same time. Um, uh, we think that they all went out at a, at a very similar time from his prison cell. This is verse 2. He says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then he goes on to talk about what those are. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. This is the idea we've talked about the last couple of weeks. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That, that your life is hidden with Christ. And when God sees you, he sees Christ. And when God sees Christ, he sees you. That whole, that whole idea. And then verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Meaning, these are those earthly things that that people tend to set their minds on he says sexual immorality impurity lust evil desires and greed uh, which is idolatry okay because of these the wrath of god is coming you used to walk in these ways this is how you used to think this is how you used to behave paul says in the life you once lived but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. So Paul's saying, watch out, okay? And he, he's talking about these enemies of the cross. We, we walked through these four markers, but, but who are they specifically? What group of people are this enemy of the cross? And, and here's the reality. We don't know. Some people have speculated it's the Epicureans, the Epicureans who were about um, eat, drink, and be merry concept, right? For tomorrow we die, just go for it, just full-on hedonism. And some people think it's the Judaizers, uh, which Paul kind of refers to earlier, earlier, this idea that you have to go through a Jewish door before you get to Jesus. And um, the point is that Paul... Paul just talks about don't follow people and, and don't 
follow, don't follow the crowd in the sense of this idea of just what's on the surface and what's on the here and now. He's like, follow my example. I am shooting for, I'm pressing on towards resurrection. Okay, that's what Paul is getting at here. And so then Paul turns the corner, he shifts gears. Verse 20, he says this, and this is like our, our, our big point today, but our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now, this is hands down one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted paragraphs in all of the New Testament. And it means, usually, here's, here's what it means. It means the exact opposite of what the majority of modern Christians think it means. And you're like, well, wait a second. Well, let me, let me push you on this a bit. What is Paul saying? Paul is delineating between two different colonies, okay? He talks about our citizenship being in heaven. He talks about how we, if you follow Jesus, we're actually a colony of heaven. And he's juxtaposing that with a, a, a colony of Rome. Colony of Rome, colony of heaven, right? And so nerd alert a little bit here, Rome, and this goes back to, I think, week one or two, we talked about this. Rome was the first, well, Rome was not one of the first nations to uh, conquer the world. It, it, it actually just learned from all these other nations that conquered the world, whether it was Babylon or, or Alexander the Great or whatever. Uh, what made Rome special, okay, was that Rome kept the world conquered. Like, and they did it really strategically. Uh, they did that uh, culture and, and, and pushing Roman culture into all these different places. And the genius of the empire was a network of colonies. And colonies were a microcosm. They're not just a city. I mean, we talked about this a number of weeks back. They were a, a microcosm of, on, on Macedonian soil and then all over their empire of what Rome was. Okay, so if you were a, a colony you, uh, and you were a citizen of, of, of Rome, you were a, uh, if you were a, a person in that colony, if you lived in that colony, you were by default a citizen of Rome, which means you didn't pay taxes, you had special legal standing in Rome. And um, you were Roman, you were a Roman citizen. Your citizenship, okay, was in Rome. What, meant, what that meant was, was your job was to bring Roman culture, Roman uh, rule to the city of the colony of Philippi, not just to the colony, but to the surrounding region of, of, of Rome, of, of the colony. And the, the list of the, there's, there's a number of Roman colonies, including Philippi, Alexandria, Okay, down in Egypt was a Roman colony, and it was populated, the, the initial thing was populated by Romans, and not just Romans, it was populated by veterans, okay? So people who served Caesar. So for instance, Philippi, 42 BC, it was created because 
Mark Antony fights Octavian. They go to war. And in the end, Octavian is, is stuck, really, with tens of thousands of soldiers. And so he does something brilliant. He does something actually strategic. And he decides to hand out free land to the veterans. And one of the ways to do that was out here on the outermost parts of the, of the, of the empire was to create Philippi. And Octavian was brilliant, so he puts a whole bunch of retired soldiers out in a colony called Philippi, named after Philip of Macedon. And so in the end, tens of thousands of soldiers loyal to the empire, okay, are put right in the heart of Macedonia and their heart beats and their allegiance and everything beats for Rome. Now he's saying, uh, Paul is saying all these things within earshot of Roman citizens, Roman patriots, Roman veterans. He's saying first and foremost, your citizenship is in heaven. It, it's the most jarring thing. We'll talk about the, uh, the heaven piece here in a second. And so what he's not saying, and please listen, what Paul is not saying is you belong to another world. He's not saying that. He's not saying that at all. He's not saying one day uh, you will go there when you die. He's not saying you are just passing through. Uh, you've probably heard that. Uh, from folks before. He's not saying just check out, okay? Disengage. He's not saying climb into a Christian subculture, um, hire a Christian plumber, listen to Christian radio, um, eat at Christian restaurants. He's not saying that. He's not saying hide in your world and wait because one day you're going home. That's all baloney. That's garbage. That's scubalon, right? That's garbage. That's not what Paul's saying. And so many people have read this as if what Paul is saying is your citizenship is in heaven. So just wait till this super crappy world um, just spins and burns out. Um, and then one day you'll be in heaven. That's not what Paul is saying. And unfortunately, that is the, the theology that has affected our churches and our, uh, our culture really for too long. And it's a frustrating thing. And there's a huge pushback to that within the church, which is fantastic. And we are part of that pushback. Your goal, if you were a Roman, um, if you were in Philippi, your goal wasn't one day to go to Rome. Rome was recreated in the city. Your goal wasn't to go to Rome one day. Your goal was to work in Philippi for Roman rule and culture to show up on the streets of your city and in the region around your city. That was your goal. So in the same way, here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying to the Philippians that you were called, just like the Romans were called to Romanize Philippi and Macedonia, you were called to heavenize, in our case, Denver. We are called to be a colony of the king, a colony of heaven, right here. And more specifically, right now. Now, what does that mean? Well, 
Remember, heaven is, not, heaven is not a place you go when you die. So for some of you that still has this mental image of heaven being the pearly gates and you're on a cloud and you're singing, um, heaven is not a place where you go when you die. Heaven, according to Paul, is God's space, meaning the dimension of reality where things are as they should be, where God's rule and God's reign and everything is how God wants it, how God intended it to be. Right now, on this world, in this space, and in this time, um, God's will is not happening completely how it should be, meaning there are other wills competing right now for and against God, right? And so one day, we're all expecting that one day that scripture's talking about, on that day where heaven crashes into earth, where heaven, according uh, to Paul or, and, and Jesus, is the wedding of heaven and earth, that, that right here on this earth, things will be how they should be. They're not how they should be. But one day they will be how they should be. And how does that happen? Well, it happens actually with our participation. It doesn't happen with you and me moving to the suburbs, okay, and, and uh, hiding out, all right, nothing wrong with the suburbs, and hiding out, okay, in a Christian subculture because of the, the, the big bad world. And, and waiting to go to heaven when we die, because we're just passing through. That's not what Paul is saying. And, and Paul, I, I, it would be like, I could say this more intensely, I would. I would fake some tears for you. Like, this is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, you and I, in the meantime, we're called to not check out. We're called to, I know that sounds great though to check out. Trust me, it, uh, there's like a, a human thing in all of us. It's just like, man, I just wanna check out of this place, right? Uh, especially right now. But you and I are called to heavenize. We're called to uh, work for the rule and the reign of God and the kingdom and the culture of the kingdom over everything that our lives touch. Everything. What does your life touch? Everything. You live in Arvada, Broomfield, Denver, Golden, Thornton, Westminster, North Glen, Erie. Adam, There's so many. Wheat Ridge, some of you, Applewood, Lakewood. Your life touches stuff. Your life touches other people, relationships, systems, uh, jobs, uh, schools, your life touches those things. We are a colony of heaven. Meaning, what Paul is saying is that because of that colony, we have an obligation to bring the rule and the reign of God to this world. It's our purpose. It's our teleos. It's the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus in us. Like that is part of what we participate in. Dying to ourselves, bringing new life. That is our job. Our job is to heavenize the city, heavenize the world around us. And there's two colonies that Paul is uh, kind of putting in tension, Philippi and the kingdom of God. 
And there's two outcomes. Uh, when you call Caesar Lord, or when you call Jesus Lord, uh, Paul was actually bringing to the attention that calling Jesus Lord is subversive, it's treasonous, it goes against the grain of the culture. Um, I'm not asking you to go out there and be a jerk for Jesus and go against the grain of culture. What I'm asking is like, well, look at your life, look at what's in your lap, look at what's in your reach, and what does that look like to, to bring heaven to it, to bring the justice and the shalom and the joy and the, and the forgiveness and the redemption to it? What does that look like? Like, in, in Paul's day, on the coins, it actually had, on one coin, um, they, they found that it's, it has the, the word soter, which is savior, that, G, that Caesar was savior. Savior. And for Paul, actually, he's just going around saying, no, 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 Jesus is Lord and Savior. Jesus is the one who's putting the world back to rights, is rescuing us from this, the power of the natural consequences of sin in our lives, uh, the direction of Jesus' coming is a heaven, a God dimension, broken, breaking into a broken dimension of humanity. The scriptures do not end with you and I leaving the planet and going to heaven. I hate to break it to you. Okay, if you want to have a conversation about the rapture, love to have it with you. The rapture, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble, um, is, is a metaphor. Uh, and that's as far as I'm going to go. This idea of, of coming out of the city, okay, to welcome a conquering uh, Caesar or a conquering military leader. And what Paul is saying in the language of the rapture is that uh, we're not going to float up into heaven and meet Jesus. What, what he's saying is that Jesus is the cosmic Lord and Savior and the heir over everything. That's the idea that we actually, this, this ruler, this king, this Savior is coming and we will meet him in the work of Jesus right here on earth. And the scriptures do not end with us leaving the planet. It's, it's actually us participating in bringing heaven to the earth. And so right in this world, when Jesus shows up, two things will take place. This is what Paul says in verse 21. Who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So two things will happen. The first is everything means everything. By the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Everything. That means that the kingdom of God the rule and reign of God will put everything back in order from a micrological, biological level to a system uh, level that, that Jesus will put everything under his control, under his will. There will be no other wills at work. 
There will be no powerful forces against God at work. There will be no human will at work to subvert what God is trying to do. There will be no sinful, broken, cancerous will at work any longer. Everything will be brought under his control and will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. This idea is that you and I at resurrection will take on physicality. We will not be floating around. We will not be, we will have physical bodies. We will experience physicality and the, there's continuity and discontinuity here. So the continuity is that you will have a body, uh, but the discontinuity is that you're, there'll be a whole new mode of physicality. Uh, for you and for me and there will be no more pain no more aches no more cancer no more sadness and tears no more um, doctor visits no more trips and falls and no more hip surgeries restoration no more of that stuff either there will be a transformation of our bodies our bodies of humiliation will be gone no more uh, <laughs> no more looking at yourself in the mirror and being bummed no, no more like inability to get up and do the things you used to do, okay? Right now, we work for that. We long for that. We hope for that. He will transform us. And not only that, he will transform everything. Everything. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus is Lord. And so what does that all mean as we wrap this up? What does it mean to be a colony of heaven? What does that mean? Well, it means, I think, three really important things. One, it actually means community together. It actually doesn't mean as an individual, you are a little individual island colony in, you, in this messed up, broken world. No, no, you have to, um, to re-architect um, in your mind and in your heart and reprioritize how you do life. That means that you and I, as a church, Restoration Covenant Church, have to re-architect how we do life together. And I think this season that we're in, doing house churches, having to be intentional, having to intentionally click on a Zoom link to be in relationship with each other, it's hard. It's so good. And it's hard. <laughs> it's like a hard sandwich there. Um, there's good stuff to it, but it, it takes intentionality. It's really hard. And I'm getting flooded with stories of people connecting and praying for each other and encouraging each other and supporting each other and challenging each other. And we had our house church last week had a, had a great conversation. It was a really challenging conversation for me. It was just so good to hear and, and be stirred and to be pushed and to be um, encouraged. It takes community to do that. It takes being in each other's lives more and more. It takes prioritizing your stepping into community. And we want to help you do that. If you haven't done that, if you're missing that, if you're, I mean, I had a call from a friend today. He's like, I'm missing that. I'm deeply missing, like, it's not how I'm wired. So the second thing I would say this, it's actually a commitment to pray as a church, as a house church. Um, your will be done, um, on earth as it is in heaven. Like, I don't think we pray that well together enough. 
a commitment to pray as a house church, how do we heavenize our world? How, how do we break your will into earth as it is in heaven? How do we do that together? And I think that that would be an important thing for us as a house church to do um, right after, right after this, this teaching ends, which is very shortly. Hold on. Uh, the last one would be this. Take leadership. Take some leadership here. One of the things that's re-architecting in our churches right now is there's been a huge wave of change that has hit the church. And much of it is really, really good. And it's, um, it's forcing us to rethink about what we do and why we do it and how we do it and, and what resources we put to it. Um, guys, you know this. We have a leadership team that works really hard behind the scenes to keep us on track uh, theologically and missionally um, and going in the same direction. They have been working so hard and think I get calls. We talk. We sit down. We eat. We discuss. We pray uh, for our church, for our community. We uh, reach out, all those kinds of things. The staff is working so hard behind the scenes um, to communicate, to, to gather, to organize, to um, do a whole bunch of things to help us as a community. But we need you. We need you to not only see your part to play in our community as a colony of heaven, but to see your part to, to play as a community in our community, in our world. And it takes initiative, it takes intentionality, and it takes leadership. There's something in your, where, where are you at in, in your world? There's something in your world that you need to take leadership of, that you need to take um, uh, initiative in to bring uh, God's rule and reign to this world. What does it mean for you as a house church? What would it look like for your house church to be a colony of heaven together? I want you to pray over that. And what does, it, what does it mean for us to eagerly await a Savior? What does that even mean? Paul, his hope is in Jesus. His hope is in Jesus, not in Caesar. And his hope is, I mean, there's so many things we put our hope in. A medication, a vaccine, a, a political change. Um, what fuels you? What what is your hope? What fuels you through the, the highs and lows of everyday life? What does it look like to eagerly await a Savior? No matter what is in your face, you do not live in the end of your story. You live in the middle of it. And that's what Paul is, is trying to rem remind us of and encourage us for. You're not in the, at the end of the story. You're not at the end of the journey. There's still resurrection coming. There's still that on its way. And if you're a follower of Jesus and you have trusting fidelity in Jesus, your destiny is resurrection. Your destiny is resurrection. And, and a glorious and restored body and a glorious and restored world. The reason why we named our church Restoration is because the definition is, is, is it's one of my favorites. The definition of restoration is a return to something, uh, the return of something to its former owner, place, or condition. That's, 
That's the definition. That's what the gospel is. Our destiny is resurrection. If you put your faith in Jesus, your destiny is resurrection. But if you don't, if today you're listening to this, you're watching this, and if you don't know that your life, you don't know that your life is swallowed up in Jesus, swallowed up in redemption, I want to invite you to take a step into that reality right now. I want you to, I want to invite you to open up your life to Jesus, the King. Then maybe you've experienced the tension, uh, much like that imagination exercise that took us through the, at the beginning. That maybe you're like kind of captivated by this Jesus character, this, this Messiah, this, this one that comes to redeem us and to save us and to rescue us. The one that, that took, in a sense, the initiative, okay, to to push to push us back into relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. The cross breaks the hold. It breaks the hold of sin in our life, of of brokenness in our life. And it opens up a new relationship. It open, opens up a relationship of forgiveness, of grace, and it invites us into a trusting allegiance of Jesus, a whole new life, a whole new purpose, a whole new teleos. And if that's something you want to have, if that's something you want to open your life up to this morning, let me, let me pray. Follow with me in this prayer together. Father, this morning, I've realized, uh, God, that you are a God of love, a God of forgiveness. And far, far long ago, far before a time, you actually have set up a way for me to return to you, for restoration to happen, for me to begin the journey towards who I was supposed to be, who I was created to be. That Jesus broke the, broke the barrier, broke the, the, the binding, the hold of sin on my life, of brokenness on my life because of what Jesus did on the cross. He paved a way for me to have a relationship with you, God. This morning, I want to surrender my life in trusting fidelity, in faithfulness to you. I want to follow you. I want you to become the Lord of my life, the, the Messiah, my Lord and Savior today. I want to live in a colony. I want to live in community of the King. I want that to be what my life is marked out for. So God, I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, church, as a house church, go talk about this. If that was a, a, a moment for you, a moment of allegiance, changing allegiance in your life, um, people want to hear about that. Uh, I want to hear about that. So let us know. You can, 
email me at ryan at restorationcolorado.org or let the people know that you're with right now. All right, everybody. See you later.